Welcome to Friends in Your Ears, a podcast where podcaster Kath Campbell interviews podcasters about their favorite podcasts on a podcast. I am joined today by two of my absolute favorite internet personalities. We have today Mr. Brad Dowdy and Mr. Jason Snell. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Kathy. Hello, Kathy. All right, so let's have you introduce yourself, Brad, and let everyone know where they can find you on the internet. Yes, yeah, so I'm the pin guy on the internet. I write at the pin addict, which is pinaddict.com. I am on Twitter at dowdyism. Unfortunately, the guy who owns the pin addict handle will not sell it to me, so I'm mad at him. And I'm on Instagram at Twitch at pin addict as well. So I'm all over the place, and I like to talk about pins and stationery and all the analog tools that Jason Snell does not use in his day to day work. Mm. <laughs> you got you got my number. You got my number there. It's true. I use pens from time to time when I need to write things on paper. What well, is better than a pen? I say that's right. Um, I just don't do that that much. But sure, uh, I you can find me on lots of places. I do podcasts at theincomparable.com and six colors or six colors.com is my website. I do a podcast at theincomparable.com and relay.fm. I host many podcasts, too many to name, and um, you can find me on Twitter at jsnell. And uh, yeah, that's it. I'm all over the place. All over the place. Perfect. Okay, so we're going to get started with a little bit of history. Brad, how did you start listening to podcasts? So aside from your surprise question, which I'm very scared of later, um, <laughs> listening to previous episodes, I was racking my brain on this, which I, I think a lot of your listeners, a lot of your guests do. Um, yes. I'm pretty sure that... It was because of Patrick Roan's Enough podcast that I started listening. And that's only because at the time I was I was writing The Pen Attic. The Pen Attic blog started in 2007, so I've been writing it for a while. And even to this day, you know, I'm always searching online for new people who are talking about stationery or pens or anything to do with writing. Um, and somehow I came along Patrick Roan's website or work where he was probably talking about, you know, some getting things done system or, you know, basically some processes that, you know, were helping him. And then he would also talk about the tools he'd use to do those things. And then, you know, I think I just kind of struck up a online conversation with him, realized he had a podcast called Enough. And I think that's about when I started listening to them. That was probably like, I don't know, 2011, 2012, something like that. And at least that's the first podcast I remember like latching on to like, okay, I'm going to subscribe to this and I'm going to listen to it when it comes out and, you know, become a thing. And as it just so happens, his co-host of the Enough podcast was a guy named Mike Hurley, who you guys may know. <laughs> so that became a thing. So I, it's, uh, it's all Patrick Roan's fault um, why... Uh, I started listening to podcasts, and then, uh, as you can imagine, we might cover it, it kind of morphed on from there. That's fantastic. So I wonder where we can send him flowers to thank him. <laughs> For me, it's, uh, I was trying to think too, I mean, it was a long time ago, because podcasts, that was that first wave in the mid-2000s, and I think that's roughly when I started listening to. The the two podcasts that I remember discovering and being um and 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 listening to uh, and getting excited about new episodes and all that. There were two of them. It was uh, the San Francisco Chronicle started doing 
podcasts and very clearly their management didn't know what they were doing but they tried it anyway <laughs> because it was early days and they wanted to give it a go and one of the podcasts they did was with a tv critic at the chronicle at the time tim goodman and he did some interviews but he also had a uh, one of his fellow uh, reporters at the chronicle uh, joe garofoli uh, appear on the podcast and he was from the beginning, question boy. And the idea there was that he would be asking questions to Tim from listeners and readers of the paper. And then very rapidly, their uh, essentially engineer, who is also a reporter at the Chronicle at the time, Benny Evangelista, uh, became Benny on the knobs and was more of an active producer and participant in the show. And uh, those guys, that show... It, it very rapidly just swerved into uh, like off the cliff. It was not even on the rails anymore. It was it, it, had, it had plunged deep into a canyon. It was weird voices and nonsense, and uh, I loved it. Like that that was definitely one of those things. I have fond memories of of uh, standing at the bus stop on uh, on Second Street, uh, waiting to go home, and just holding back the tears from laughter of that <laughs> podcast. So that was one, and then the other one. I would imagine is actually a lot of people's first podcast, which is uh, the Ricky Gervais show, where Ricky mm. Gervais had been doing a radio show with Stephen Merchant, who was his collaborator on The Office and Extras, and a friend of theirs, uh, a very strange man named Carl Pilkington, on uh, on radio in the UK. And uh, I didn't know that at the time, but they basically didn't they, they didn't do that anymore. And so they wanted to find a way to continue to do weird conversational things together. And podcasting was new. And so they just decided to do it as a podcast. And I loved that. I, I think I listened to every episode of that uh, multiple times, which I don't usually do with podcasts because I they were so funny. And the best part is that even though Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant are uh, by trade comedy performers and, and writers uh, it was mostly about them picking the brain of this strange reg supposedly regular but actually very much not a regular person carl pilkington who had very he who was basically a nice gentleman who led an incredibly unexamined life and when they would ask him questions about his view of the universe he would reveal extremely strange illogical views about everything including my personal favorite which is that we have we have too many words and nobody should ever invent a new word because we have too many of them already <laughs> huh. Very, yeah um... i like it i just i just finished reading ni 1984 like uh, a month or two ago and uh <laughs> that, that sounds about right <laughs> there are way fewer words than that yeah absolutely you gotta simplify things yeah, I mean, and there were there were uh, the other. I mean, the thing I love about Carl is that he, he had a complete. Um, I think this changed over time. They actually had him. He hosted a couple of TV shows later, but this was early enough on that he was not really aware, self aware, <laughs> about about what was going on in the show. And um, the the best one of those is that they did a um, they did a segment called Monkey News, where uh, they would read a, a story about a monkey or other ape. And then have uh, Carl react to it. And Carl brought uh, a monkey news one time. And it was essentially this long kind of like ghost story and the a, a, about, uh, you know, a shaggy dog story. It was like a guy in a trench coat and he was doing all these things. And, and you know, very obviously the punchline is it turns out it was a monkey. <laughs> um, but he does it in the monkey news segment, not at all at any point understanding that by choosing to do it, then he has given away the punchline of his joke. 
And you can hear the two guys just laughing and laughing as he's trying to very seriously do this thing. And like, I got them hooked. They don't believe it. It's going to be amazing when they learn that it's a monkey. And it's like, guy, it is the monkey news. Anyway, it's, it's that, it's that kind of thing. It was a a very funny, um, very funny podcast. And that, that too, uh, reduced me to tears at the bus stop. So those, that's, that's where it all got started in the kind of like 2005 to 2010 kind of range. That's amazing. And this leads us into the second question, because both of you, the first podcast that you were talking about, directly influenced the podcast that you do currently. I mean, Brad, now you have Mike Hurley every week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's 100% the reason why I'm podcasting. And I was a reluctant podcaster. Like, So we recorded this show with Patrick. So they had me end up having me on as a guest on the Enough podcast because Patrick had been we'd been, you know, talking for a while and always talking about pens and paper and, you know, what are your favorite things and what do you like to write with? So Patrick told Mike he had this guy, me, he wanted to bring on the show to talk about pens and paper. And Mike was not as much into it as Patrick, but Mike, you know, had a couple of nice pens, fountain pen. He, you know, he liked to use them, but he wasn't really into them where Patrick was really into them. So that's why he wanted to have me on and talk. So we, we did the episode and, you know, I think it went pretty well. And, you know, we were talking in the post show and at that time I started to sort of figured out who Mike was and like he had a you know, I think that was 70 decibels days where he had like a couple of other shows he was doing. So I knew he, he did other podcasts like around tech and just around general topics. And he said, we should do a podcast about pins. And I said, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) (laughs) I completely blew him off. I, that, I mean, I think that was my quote. I said, that's a terrible, (laughs) that's a terrible idea. Who would listen to this? He go, He's like, no, I like to listen to you talk about pens, and I like pens, and we can have this discussion where you tell me, like, I'll ask you stuff, and you can tell me about, you know, why you like this pen. And I was like, I'm not sure about this. And so I, right then, I had pretty much turned him down. So I didn't really, you know, think about it too much other than the, boy, that was weird, and that doesn't make any sense. And then he kept on me. Like, this is to Mike's credit. Like, I didn't follow up on this, you know, <laughs> at all. So Mike Mike got back into me, like, in the next week or two, and he's like, I'm serious. I think this could be a thing. And I'm like, really? And I started to think about it a little bit, and I thought, okay, you know, we'll, we'll try this. You know, I could maybe come up with, I don't know, I had maybe 10 episodes worth of content in, in my head, and, um, you know, six years and 319 episodes later here we are still talking about (laughs) pens and paper and uh that's that's all thanks to mike like i literally thought it was a terrible idea who would want to listen to that and it turns out a lot of people so i'm i'm very thankful to mike for that well we're very thankful for mike too (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah well and he does that to everybody by the way The, uh, that could be a that could be a podcast. We uh-huh. should do a podcast about that. That's his thing that he does. <laughs> it he seems to find out. I definitely got roped into that, and uh, I, I'm very happy that I did. And all of us, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But he has that effect on people. It is. You're you're right, Kathy. I hadn't even thought about that, but you're absolutely right. So I, just as Brad does a podcast with Mike now every week, I do a podcast with Tim Goodman every week. So basically, <laughs> the TV talk machine. Um, 
went on for a while and the Chronicle's enthusiasm for it kind of waned and the guys were just doing their own thing. And I think at some point, you know, they started uh, being on other assignments and doing other work and they were they were getting together less and less and they, they lost Benny as a producer because he was off doing other stuff. And um, as a fan of the podcast, I didn't want it to die. So I actually like invited them over to, to Macworld, to our studio space. And we did some episodes there with them where I was suddenly the one who was manning the knobs for the for the show and uh that was fun but it was very hard logistically we did like a handful of them over the course of a year um and it, and it was very clear that it was unsustainable and then tim um tim left the chronicle to go to the hollywood reporter and it was very clear to me and i think w- this was a smart professional move on tim's part that he didn't really want to talk at the hollywood reporter especially about the tv talk machine because as I said earlier, it was nonsense. It was complete nonsense and had nothing to do with TV basically anymore. And I think he realized that professionally, it was not really something he wanted to promote. (laughs) And I thought to myself, you know, you could do the t- you could bring the TV talk machine back because Tim was really good on podcasts and have it be something that he would actually promote and say, look, I do this podcast and you should listen to it and you can hear me talk about TV. And so I basically approached him and said, I will produce I will produce that show. Let's do TV Talk Machine Volume 4 or whatever it was at that point. Uh, you and me, and we'll just do TV stuff. And you can it'll be something that you'll actually want to promote and point to. And, um, and we've been doing that for the last uh, three years or so. And uh, it has worked to the point where like I get referenced occasionally in his pieces in The Hollywood Reporter. Because he's like, I was talking about this on my podcast with Jason, and we said <laughs> this. And that's, um, that's pretty cool. So in the end, yes, one of my very first favorite podcasts has turned into something that directly affects what I do every week now. Oh, that's amazing. That is so incredible. And so was the TV Talk Machine the first podcast that you created? Uh, no, it wasn't. I mean, it was it was, it was was there in the background. They created it. And I, I didn't really, I mean, we did a Macworld podcast. That was the one podcast that I, I really so in like 2005 or 2006, we decided to do a Macworld podcast. And that was the first one that I was involved with, although uh, I wasn't the host of it. Uh, Sarus Faravar, who now writes for Ars Technica, I want to say, um, he was our intern and we had him do it. And he was interested <laughs> in radio. And uh, and so he did he did it for a while and Chris Breen did it. And we had a bunch of different hosts of it. And I would appear on it, but I was not the regular host. Um, and then we did a podcast for a blog that I ran back in the day called TV uh, we did about eight episodes of that podcast where we were, again, really just trying to experiment with the medium and see if we could. That was kind of like a proto uh, version of The Incomparable, which came in 2010. And that's the that's the first podcast that was my podcast that I did week in and week out. And then from there now, it is, as I said earlier, kind of too many to count. But <laughs> The Incomparable was the one that was my first one that I made. And that was uh, that was 2010, August 2010. I, I love the interweaving of history and what you're doing for like your jobby job and directly related to oh hey let's do a podcast or let me help you do a podcast or let me like you do this let's make this into a podcast a very a more subtle mic uh reference there yeah, yeah, but I mean that I think that's where a lot of this stuff comes from, but to be honest, I think that's where unless you're at the level where it's giant corporations with franchises making expensive deals, uh, so much collaboration and creation 
is stuff like that, where somebody has an idea or somebody wants to work with somebody else and they have those conversations and then a thing emerges from it. And, you know, this is where we are, so we can see the kind of pieces of it here. But, you know, I would imagine when you see, I was thinking about like the book series, The Expanse, uh, which is now a TV series too. Like those guys, you know, they knew each other sort of, and they, you know, they ended up, you know, team writing a series of uh, of very successful novels, but that that started with like, hey, what do you think? Maybe there's something here, and they just kind of it led to that that moment. And I we just I think a lot of times we just see the end product and we don't understand that there's a lot of kind of chance and just who is talking to who that leads to these things being created. And that's well, what makes the best stuff that. too. That seems to be all the all the things that we like seem to be come from these really really neat stories like that now it's it's no wonder they're successful in the end absolutely and uh speaking of things we like brad what is your favorite podcast and why so i gotta i gotta tell you a little bit of a story here when you invited me on this podcast um so you pick two random guests to i mean jason and i obviously know each other but you know you didn't we didn't know who we we're going to be on with at first. You kind of set that up. You say, okay, it's Brad and Jason. Jason is one of maybe the only person in the Relay FM realm that I'm in that I can talk baseball with. <laughs> um, we, are, we, are, we are on an island, uh, rightfully so, <laughs> in, in the network as far as like uh, some of our, our, our baseball leanings and sports leanings in general. And it's good that he was on today because he might actually know the podcast. I am sure he knows the podcast. That is my favorite podcast, and it's called Effectively Wild. So it's a baseball podcast that is extraordinarily nerdy. Um, it's run by a guy named Ben Lindbergh, and right now his co-host is Jeff Sullivan. They've just recorded episode 1,250. <laughs> wow. So they record like three, time, three times a week for years and years and years. And the reason I like, I like it because I'm into, I mean, the analog stuff I'm into, it's all about minutia. And, you know, the tech stuff like that Jason's into, like you really get into the minutia. Well, baseball lends itself to that. You know, the baseball content I enjoy isn't what you read at a superficial level from a newspaper or, you know, a major media outlet. It's the down in the trenches. What do the numbers really mean? And how can we communicate it in an effective and often funny way? And that's what I get out of this podcast. Plus, I'm just like... I don't super fan over many people, but I'm a huge fan of Ben Lindbergh just as a writer. Um, he was a writer before he was a podcaster, and um, he writes books, and he writes lots of articles for the Ringer Network. And I like listening to his podcast style, the way he talks and the way he interviews people. So I listen to, him to do – he's done a video game podcast in the past, so he's into all kinds of things. So I just really enjoy following Ben's work. Um, but effectively wild, it's, it's not your introductory to baseball podcast. It's off the deep end. Like sometimes it can get crazy technical with numbers, but they still ha do it in an approachable way where they're having fun and, and making it funny. And it's, it's super enjoyable out of all the podcasts I listen to. That's probably the only one I don't really miss. Like I subscribe to a lot of podcasts and download a lot of podcasts. I don't listen to all of them. Like I'm not really good at like 
serialized content, you know, where it's, you know, episode after episode the next week, except J- when Jason talks about Game of Thrones, I always listen to that because um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. Um, but in general, like I'll download and just kind of listen to the various podcasts in my, you know, in my in my, my app and just whenever I feel like it, but like effectively wild, it always goes right to the top just because the content, you know, it's important to me. I wrote about baseball online before I wrote about pens online. So huh. baseball's in my blood um, and they do it better than anybody. It's not content you can get, you know, from, like I said, you know, television or major media. It's uh, it's the good stuff. So effectively wild. That's, that's my favorite podcast. Yeah, I remember listening to that uh, back in the days when I subscribed because I don't anymore to Baseball Prospectus. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, they really know their stuff. I don't listen to a lot of sports podcasts. Uh, despite being a sports fan, it's mm. funny that that just, for whatever reason, is, has not been a thing that I do. There's only one podcast that I would even say is a sports podcast, and it's tenuously that that I listen to regularly, and that's the Podcast. Oh, yeah. Which absolutely. is Joe Posnanski, who's a fantastic sports writer, and Mike Schur, who's the creator of The Good Place and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And uh, they usually draft things because I love drafts <laughs> and they draft like abstract concepts and uh, fruits and things like yep. totally random things <laughs> that they draft. But they do talk about sports because they're they're both huge sports guys. And that is it's sort of the charger, charter of that podcast is that sports is involved, although it's somewhat quite tenuous. And, and it's also so sporadic, like three times a week. <laughs> so that would be really hard for me. But it's it's like every two, three, four weeks that, yeah. that one of those pops up. And I'll, I'll listen to that because it's it's uh, it's funny and uh and just right up my alley right it's like they're baseball fans they dra- like to draft things uh they talk about comedy and and pop culture as well as uh as baseball and it makes me laugh yeah. uh so uh yeah so but um but i effectively well it's a great podcast and the thousand plus episodes just yeah. it's mind-blowing you got to stop at some point you got to stop numbering your episodes <laughs> right right <laughs> just yeah. do it just date them because really we're not counting it's not like comic books anymore like yeah. we're, we're not gonna say actually in number 34 you said that like it's too many there's four <laughs> digits it's forget it yeah what's funny you said that about the podcast that was actually my second choice for the answer oh, to this awesome. question because it's so great it's hilarious they have um now Braves pitcher Brandon McCarthy on as a guest so they have a real live athlete on there like who yeah. tells it as it who tells it as it is on occasion he's not on there every episode but the only reason I didn't put it it was because they do sometimes they might go two or three months without recording because they're it's both true. super busy but they did an office supply draft uh one episode so <laughs> Mike Mike and I did that on the pin addict uh in in honor of the podcast episode of the office supply draft so that was hilarious so yeah great show I just drafting things on podcasts. I think more, more <laughs> podcasts should do that. Yeah, I, as we were recording this, there was a new episode of Ungenius that just came out in which they draft items off of a Wikipedia page. And I was like, <laughs> yes. my See, just as Mike goes to people and says, you know, you should do a podcast, I'm the one who's whispering in everybody's ears, draft things, draft things. Yes. <laughs> All right, Jason. So you kind of started a little bit with the podcast. Uh, but what is your official favorite podcast and why? Well, podcast is on my short list. With there are like five on my short list, and 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 uh, so can I cheat and talk about the ones Absolutely. that I didn't pick? Because that's a classic maneuver. And yes. a, anytime you're asked to name one thing, you name the four things you didn't name. <laughs> I like to call it top thing. four rules. So yeah, exactly yeah. right. It, no, it's it's cheating, but it's fine. Uh, the audio guide to Babylon Five, one of my favorite sci-fi series of all time, and my friends Chip and Shannon and Erica do that. They are they have actually, as we're recording this. <laughs> 
they're at the end. They've been watching an episode every two weeks for five years, so basically the pace of the show. And they have just reached the end, which is kind of amazing, but it's been great to relive that five-year experience from the 90s from the perspective of uh, the 2010s, And uh, but with friends of mine doing it, and I guest on there occasionally when something terrible happens, they have me on <laughs> as a guest. Uh, so I love that. That's that's uh, I listen to every episode of that. Uh, Accidental Tech Podcast is my tech, the one tech podcast that I listen to every single episode of. I just love the di- the dynamic between the three guys who do that, and I've gotten to know those three guys, which has been great. But I love, I mean, regardless of that, <laughs> I love the show. It's one of those things where it's like I feel like I know them, which uh, so many of us have that connection to people we listen to on a podcast. And the cool thing about that show is I also actually do know them, <laughs> which is annoying because I send them texts about what I, what they're saying on the podcast. Which I apologize. Um, the podcast is great. Uh, my favorite D and D podcast, which D and D podcasts are now Dungeons and Dragons podcasts are like a thing role playing podcast, which is great because they're actually great for podcast format. If you're playing a game, it's a you're telling a story, but you don't actually know where the story's going, which means that the audience and the characters are all kind of guessing. Uh, I think that that leads to kind of great drama and great comedy. We do one on the incomparable called Total Party Kill. A lot of people really love the Adventure Zone on Max Fun, but my favorite. Favorite is one that um, that my friend Tony Sindelar recommended to me, which is called Dragon Friends, which is a bunch of Australian improv comedians, basically uh, playing D and D in front of a live studio audience with music <laughs> playing <laughs> as they play. It's amazing. It is very funny. Um, I love it, and uh, it's just the the jokes they make and the things they do with their characters. It's it's incredible. It's not something that could ever be scripted. It is very much spontaneous. But um, but my favorite podcast is also a uh, uh, maximum fun like the Adventure Zone, and it is the Flop House, which I've talked about so many times that I know people are probably tired of it. And I think it's been mentioned on this podcast before yep. too. I, but uh, that's my favorite podcast. I listen to that like when it comes. I know which Saturdays because it's released every other Saturday. I know which Saturday is a flop house Saturday. I know it, <laughs> and I know about when they post it. And I get the little push notification that says from Overcast that says new po- new episode of the Flop House, and it says what the name of the movie is because it's a bad movie podcast. It's it's uh, two guys, uh, one who used to be the head writer for the Daily Show and is a TV writer. Um, the other guy is still a writer on The Daily Show. And then the third guy is their friend who's a bartender, but is also incredibly funny and uh, and pop culturally savvy. And uh, they just talk about watch a bad movie and then they talk about it. And it ends up being lots of tangents, lots of riffs. Uh, my friend Philip Michaels referred to it when I exposed him to it as uh, very much a writer's room kind of feeling where they're throwing out jokes and ideas and they don't all land but when they do land, they're amazing. Um, and they're just a fun. It's a fun room to, to be in and to be a fly on the wall of uh, every other week while they make their jokes and talk about movies that generally I haven't seen and I'm never going to see. <laughs> um, and, and it just that it's amazing. So that that is, the, the, you know, thank you to everyone. I think John Syracuse is the one who recommended the Flophouse to me originally. And he was right. I went through the whole back catalog. <laughs> Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's great. It's very funny. And, uh, again, it's the people who make it right. It's also like, you feel like, you know, those guys. And I got to meet them. I went to a live show of the flop house and, uh, I got to meet them and that was weird because it was the, like I said about ATP, it's like, Hey, I feel like I know these guys, but I don't know these guys. Yeah. (laughs) 
And that's such a delicate balance when you meet someone that you have weekly, biweekly, monthly, however often you have them in your ears, and then you meet them in person and you're just like, I know everything about your life and you don't yeah. even know my name, but hi. Yeah, I wanted to say to Dan McCoy, like, um, uh, how's how's Archie? How's your cat? <laughs> it's like, I know the name of your cat. <laughs> but uh, that's a little bit that's a little bit weird. But um, I do. I mean, the thing I have in common with him with him was that uh, his brother does a podcast on the Incomparable Network. So I was like, oh, yeah, John does his, you know, his sophomore lit con- on my on my network. And so he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, and there's Twitter. Like, I, I feel like, you know, you can be aware. And I, this is the same with my podcast is like and I'm sure, Brad, that you and Mike experience this, too. Um, there are, there are, you don't know everybody who listens to your podcast, but there are the people who interact with you on Twitter or they send you emails or things like that, that, that if they come up to you at at a pen show, let's say, Mm -hmm. you'll be like, oh yeah, right. It's you. So it's not like there's zero recognition necessarily if you put yourself out there and you, you, you have some conversation with them. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. We recognize people. I'll recognize people from their screen names all the time. And a lot of times we'll hand out badges. It's like, you don't know my real name, but my screen name is blah. And that way we're easier to find people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the way to do it. Mrs. Soup yep. in the yep. chat room is a classic example of that. Like, whatever, whatever happened to Mrs. Soup? I, I don't know. know. Maybe she's doing know. a podcast we herself. Should, we should. I should get her on the show. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I love that I've been able to meet you, gentlemen, both in person and do podcasts and and whatnot with you. It's it. You know, you can meet your heroes. And really cool people and find out that they are actually really cool people. And it's really awesome. So thank you for joining me. Absolutely. All right. Are you guys ready for the final bonus question? No. Oh, boy. But before I start, listeners, feel free to send in your own ideas for questions. Just uh, put them on Twitter with the hashtag F-I-Y-E bonus. That's fire bonus and uh, maybe I'll get that read out to one of our guests but this week is very special because I know both of you gentlemen are into sports ball what is your favorite sports moment and you can only have one that you can relive like on television or radio or whatnot what's your favorite sports moment so I have I have one thing that's stuck in my head to answer this and what's funny is it's a loss by my favorite team, <laughs> the Atlanta Braves. But I think it might be one of the greatest baseball games ever played. And it was game seven of the 1991 World Series. Yeah. Where our ace pitcher, John Smoltz, went against the Minnesota Twins ace pitcher, Jack Morris. And they both went like 10 innings that game. And the Braves ended up losing one nothing, but so much happened during that game. Um, it's generally on like top ten lists or you know greatest games of all time mm-hmm. because of all the th- different things that took place, the great performances by two Hall of Fame now Hall of Fame pitchers. Um, that game replays in my head all the time because I was. Gosh, I was 20 at the time, so I was knee-deep into this stuff. And that was when I was living in Atlanta. And I had been a, I moved to Atlanta in 1987, and that's when, when I became a Braves fan. So I started following them when they were at their worst. And they were like a laughing stock. 
and then they all of a sudden had a worst of first season um, and then had a run in the World Series and then made it all the way to Game 7. And just it's like a gut-wrenching <laughs> type of thing <laughs> for a fan. But as time goes on, you realize what you witnessed and is like, maybe I want to relive that over and over again because I keep trying to figure out maybe how it could have been different. Maybe that's why I think about it so much. But yeah. the further we get away from it, the more the more luster that game has for me, even though it didn't turn out right for my team, if you will. But what that game meant for the sport was really turned out to be a really important thing that you didn't know Mm -hmm. at the that you didn't know at the time so I don't know why that that's literally the first thing that popped into my head um I don't even know that I have a second answer to that I I can think about it while Jason's going on like something (laughs) something something more positive but that game that game is so important that that's the game I I don't know I feel like I could watch that game over and over for the rest of my life I mean, I remember where I was when I watched that game. I was actually mm-hmm. in the office of my college newspaper as we watched mm-hmm. that game, and yeah. we could not believe it as it kept going, and it kept going, yeah. and the pitchers kept pitching. Yeah. Um, so it's an incredibly memorable thing, and yeah. I'm not even a fan of either team, and it was an incredibly memorable. Right. So that that's a that, – and also it's awfully big of you to pick a loss. <laughs> <laughs> the game that loses the World Series for you. Uh, but it was a it was a classic. That's yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm a fan of. Uh, I well, I'll, I'll put it this way. Um, my sports love was always uh, teams that turned out not that I knew this that they had a legacy of failure. Um, it really <laughs> resonates for me that the, the Braves were so bad for so long because I remember mm. those era that era. I remember in. Uh, in the first season of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, there's a character that they thaw out of like suspended animation from the 20th century. And one of the things he says at one point is uh, to a, like one of their little replicators or something, he thinks it's a TV, and he says, can this thing get the Braves? I want to see what the Braves are doing. They're probably finding another way to lose. And I was like, oh, Braves jokes. These are going to age well. And they didn't because the Braves had that amazing run. Um, I, I'm going to cheat again and, and split my answer in two. Uh, the in-person memory that I would give uh, one of those uh, lovable losers that I follow <laughs> is uh, is uh, U- UC Berkeley. So the Cal uh, football team, they are uh, traditionally terrible, but they had about 10 years where they were pretty good. Um, and of course, they had the good fortune to spend that almost decade uh, th- where they were their best in 50 years as the decade where USC in their same division, their same the conference, uh, was the best team in college football. So they never got to the Rose Bowl, which I, they will probably never do in my lifetime, which it makes me sad because I would like to see that just once. They could lose. I don't care. Just go. Uh, but it may never happen. But I do have a very fond memory of, I'm going to say it was 2003, uh, where US, where Cal was just recently recovered and, and turning into a good team. And they played USC in Berkeley, and I went to that game, and they won in I think triple overtime. Wow! Wow! Um, and 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 that's a lot. Literally, that's the last time Cal has beaten USC. They have not beaten <laughs> them since, but they beat them in that game, and I was there to see it, and it was amazing. And in those days, you could literally just walk out on the field after the game. There was no now. Now it's like ten feet down. They rebuilt the stadium, but back then, you know, basically after the game, we all just walked out on the field and celebrated, and everybody came out of the stands, and we were, there was a little party on the field for about fifteen minutes. We have a picture of my my uh, my 
what two year old daughter uh, standing on the field <laughs> after oh, the wow. Cal beat USC. So that's my that's my in person memory that was really great. And my um, my watching it on TV memory because so much of sports is watching it on TV mm. is well my other team that I grew up loving was the San Francisco Giants who hadn't won the World Series since they'd been in San Francisco, and in the I'm gonna say seventh inning of Game 5 of the 2010 World Series. Edgar Renteria hit a home run that put the Giants up by three runs uh, when they were one game away from winning the World Series. And I'm actually getting emotional talking about it. Like, <laughs> that was the moment where I thought, they're going to do this. Um, keeping in mind that they had played uh, Game 6 in 2002, where they were uh, they were five outs away from winning the World Series, and they uh, it was a disaster, and they lost that World Series. <laughs> um, that I'd been to the precipice, uh, but I'd never had that moment of, like, they're going to do this. And when Edgar Renteria hit that home run, and he, the, the, an amazing backstory, because he had been an, a, an expensive free agent signing, and um, was a bomb. He was terrible. And then in that postseason, he suddenly played incredibly well. He was playing out of his mind the whole time. And if you listen to the uh, radio broadcast of that, uh, Dave, Dave Fleming, the young, excellent uh, baseball announcer who does ESPN stuff, but mm-hmm. also is one of the Giants announcers, um, he calls that home run and his voice breaks as it happens. It's actually Aww. very <laughs> analogous to a classic Cal football moment, the Cal Stanford play where they lateral the ball like 10 times and run it into the end zone through the Stanford band. And at that moment, Joe Starkey's voice, the Cal announcer goes, the, the band is on the field. <laughs> and it's this, it's this amazing thing where he just completely loses it. And at that Renteria home run, Dave Fleming says, he's going back. He's going back. It's gone. Right. And he just, and he wasn't intentional. His, he said he had a cold, his voice cracked. Uh-huh. He feels really bad about it. And I'm like, that is an indelible moment. That is that moment where where all of us who have been watching this team for as long as, you know, 50 years in San Francisco, because that's how long they've been there is 50 some odd years, 53 years. Uh, that was that moment where you're like, they're going to win the World Series. And, uh, you know, about 30 minutes later, a couple innings later, they did. And that I, you know, I was sitting on the couch with my two kids next to me and I said, you got to watch this. You, they didn't really care that much. I'm like, you got to watch this. <laughs> and we watched this th- as they won the World Series. And I would I would relive that moment over and over again, quite honestly. Oh, that is absolutely amazing. I love both of your answers. Perfect answers. Thank you so much for joining me. And thank you, listener, for listening to this episode of Friends in Your Ears. You can find us online at friendsinyourears.com, where we are part of the amazing Incomparable Network. And we are on Twitter at Friends in Ears. You can find Brad on Twitter at Dowdyism. Jason is at Jasonell, And I am at Mrs. Soup. Thank you again. And I hope you all have an absolutely fantastic day. You're Mrs. Soup. <gasps> it's revealed. <laughs>